Sydney Racing's riding ranks have been further strengthened by the return of Tommy Berry from a 12-month stint in Hong Kong. Tommy's contract with the John Moore stable was amicably terminated in March and he switched to a jockey club contract for the remainder of the season. The club offered Tom a one-year renewal for the new season, but the 27-year-old jockey decided to return to Australia with wife Shani and three young children, Caden, who's three and a half, Charlize, who's 18 months, and Levi, who's only four months old. Tommy joins us on the podcast today. Great to talk, Tommy Berry. How are you, John? Well, the ages of the kids obviously had a lot to do with your decision. Three little ones, all under four, living in a Hong Kong apartment isn't an ideal situation. No, it wasn't, John. And look, it it was something that we um, had in mind that it it could possibly not work going over to Hong Kong. And um, we obviously, uh, we actually didn't know about Levi until the day before we left Hong (laughs) Kong as well. So um, that was a bit of a surprise to us as well. But yeah, it was... um, it was just a bit of a struggle for the kids growing up there. It was they obviously come from um, living on five acres here um, in Australia to, to living in a small apartment. Uh, just that big change of lifestyle and, and being away from the family wasn't really um, wasn't really something that suited them at, at such a young age. Hong Kong has been very good to you overall. You had a couple of short term contracts, many many flying visits, and this recent one year stay. I think you've ridden 80 or 90 winners in all in Hong Kong. You've won 10 Group 1s, and your time with John Moore didn't produce the expected results, and uh, you felt it was best to break up the partnership. Yeah, definitely. It, um, you know, John's been very good to me. Um, as you said, I've had a lot of Group 1s from him. He's, he's flown in, in and out of the country for the best part of six or seven years. So um, I've had a, a lot of great times with John in the stable, but... Um, this time around, obviously, um, for a few different reasons, uh, John's John's team obviously hadn't um, come up to to what it has in the past, and um, that made it a little bit tough. And obviously, owners are paying a retainer, and if the results aren't there, it makes it very difficult. So um, John and I both thought it'd be best to switch over to a club jockey, and um, you know, I really enjoyed my time there. The the last sort of four four to five months of being a, a, a Hong Kong jockey club rider. You went out in a blaze of glory, Tom. You won the Group 1 Champions and Chater Cup at Shah Tin on a horse called Pakistan Star. An enigmatic horse, a quirky horse, but one, you say, is one of the three best horses you've ever ridden. Yeah, definitely. He's um, he's, a, he's an incredible athlete. He's got a massive set of lungs on him. And um, when I won on him, I, I won the Champions Chater Cup. As you said, he won by a few lengths and he felt like he was just in second gear the whole way around because he's he's obviously been known to, to pull up in his races halfway around, but he's obviously a bit of a thinker. But, um, you know, he's, he's as I said, he's an incredible athlete. He, he gave me one of the best feels I've, I've had on a racehorse. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, I'll be able to fly back and ride him during the season and the next season for a few group ones then. He's trained by a very popular figure in Hong Kong, Tony Cruz, who was an out-and-out champion jockey. And he's followed on as a trainer. He's been very successful, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. And I think this year's been one of his best seasons. Um, he's had a lot of good horses. Uh, Time Warp, obviously, um, won for him over, over the internationals in December. And he's, he's had um, Pakistan Star as well and, and, and many other good ones. So um, he's had a, a breakout season, Tony. But as you said, he was he was a, a champion jockey and become a champion trainer. He's one of the most popular figures in Hong Kong racing. And, um, 
you know, I think his stable's only getting stronger as, as, as he gets older. Well, you're settling in back in Sydney, but you won't be race riding until the new season kicks in. Now, Tom, you've already mapped out a very busy weekly track work schedule and you're going to spread yourself around a bit. You're going to have Monday off, I think, aren't you? Yeah, Monday off and then I'll um, on Tuesday I'll head to Randwick and I'll, I'll ride a little bit for um, for Peter Snowden, Waterhouse and uh, and Mark Newnham and then on um, Wednesdays I'll I'll head to Gerald Ryan's, Thursdays Team Hawks, Friday Godolphin and um, Saturday... I'll be at um, at Chris Wallows at, uh, at Rose Hill. So, um, yeah, just spring myself around a bit and uh, hopefully I can get some opportunities along the way if I work hard. The horse we need to talk about is the unpredictable rising eight-year-old Chautauqua. He's won 13 races, 8.8 million. You've ridden him eight times, Tom. You've won five races on him, all group ones. Now, much has been said about this recently acquired habit of flatly refusing to leave the barrier. Uh, they recently flew you from Hong Kong to Melbourne specifically to ride him in a Flemington jump out. Yeah, no, it was. Um, he's he's been a, a bit difficult over the last sort of twelve months, uh, but no, he's been a, he's been an incredible horse to me. As you said, five Group Ones on, on on one horse doesn't happen very often, and and even the, the races he's won, the, the three TJ Smiths, uh, the races that I think everyone will look back on, especially his last one, and and still can't believe how he won, and uh, his win in Hong Kong uh, over there was incredible as well, but. Um, no, he just um he obviously he had a bit of a bee in his bonnet and decided to, to stop jumping in his in his uh trials and um full credit team orgs they gave him a, a really long spell and I think they had him down at the beach and maybe even rounding up a bit of cattle at one stage and just mm. teaching him to just to be a horse again, you know, and um you know, that breaks obviously worked uh, worked wonders because when I rode him the other day, uh, he, he just felt like the old Chautauqua. He was bouncing around. He was full of life. And, um, mm. you know, he was, he was very fractious and fidgety in the barriers, which is how he usually is. And from what I understand, talking to Brenton, when, when he wasn't jumping, he was very, very quiet. So, yeah. uh, he's obviously got to pass another trial on Monday uh, tomorrow. So, uh, you know, hopefully he gets through that and, 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 and on to the, um, the missile stakes on the 4th. Tom, you've described him as a loner. You've got a bit of a theory about him. That, that seems to be the secret. You've got to leave him alone, haven't you? Yeah, you do, and and that's just not in his races. That's um, you know, in the barriers, he doesn't like anyone up in in the barriers beside him. You know, I, I don't really even get anyone to walk him into the barriers. I walk him in myself, and um, and in the races, the same. You just leave him alone, and and just have the belief that he's going to get the job done and um, he's like that back in his stable at home. He doesn't really like anyone fussing over him. He, he'll stand in the back of the back corner of the box and just um, he likes to be alone. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's a bit of a loner, but um, that, that just adds to his character, I think. Just over four years ago, you and your family faced an unthinkable ordeal when you lost your twin brother, Nathan, to a very rare disease called Norse Syndrome. Tom, I'm sure he's been in the saddle with you on every winner you've ridden since. Yeah, no, he has. I, I definitely believe that. I, um, you know, it's it's something that I thought I'd struggle to do. I, I thought I'd struggle to, to get up out of bed and even go to the races, but um, sort of some, somehow I just was able to do it. Um, I was able to get up the next morning and go to track work and, and just uh, get back into my, my routine. And I, I think that's just because... Um, I'm able to do something that we both loved, and that's that's ride horses. And 
and when I'm riding and, and definitely riding in races, that's when I feel the closest to him because pretty much we spent most of our lives in the saddle together and, um, you know, that was just some amazing memories and I thank him every time I go past the winning post for keeping me safe and, and especially when I ride a winner. So, um, no, he's, he's definitely, he's a part of my life and he always will be. The Nathan Berry Medal was instituted in 2014 to honour the leading jockey at the championships each year. Now, this is an enormous posthumous honour for a young jockey who was only 23 when he passed. Yeah, no, it's, we, we couldn't believe that, um, you know, um, that, that medal was brought in. Obviously, it just shows what kind of a person Nathan was and how, how high regarded he was in the industry. And um, for usually you see medals like that and, and races named after people that, um, uh, you know, are, are well over, you know, 50 years old or, or above. Mm. But for someone at the age of 23 to have a, a medal named after him in such a, a big time of the year over the the, um, the championships and to, to have the leading rider collect his medal, it's, it's something that my family will never forget and um, it's something that we're very proud of and, and we we, uh, we can't thank the, the Australian Turf Club enough for doing it. Tommy, a horse called The Offer was an honest enough performer for Gay Waterhouse. Uh, he's never going to reach the annals of the all-time great but for you, there's a very strong sentimental attachment to this horse, the offer. Yeah, there is. Um, look, yeah, as you said, he'll he'll probably be forgotten many times um, with other people, and uh, you know, in ten years' time, you, you might say, you know, the, as I say, the, the offer is probably one of my most favourite horses I've ever sat on. He, he and, and people wouldn't even know who he is, but um, you know, he, he helped us through some. Well, me personally, through some really tough times. Um, I won a Group Two. Um, before Nathan fell fell ill and, and then um, when he did fall ill we were over in um, Singapore with him and nothing was really changing at that stage so um, I flew back to ride the offer in a group two lead up to the Sydney Cup and he, he won by a massive margin I think it might have been six or seven lengths and then um, mm. flew back to see Nathan and obviously brought him home uh, with us to lay him to rest and um, after he passed that was my first group one winner back from uh, since Nathan had passed, and it was just a, it wore his favourite colours. Um, yeah, they were blue with yellow. He's a Parramatta mm. supporter, so mm. it was just, um, it was just meant to be, obviously. And it was a very special moment for me. And my family it was one. It was the first time, one of the first times my old man's ever uh, come to the races on a on a Saturday to watch me ride too. So it was a it was a special day for us all. Mm. You know, you're one of the elite few jockeys to have run a, won a race on Winks. You won the Farlap Stakes on the Great Mare over 1,500 metres a while back now. Uh, you rode her again after that in the Vinery Stud Stakes. She ran fifth behind Fenway, only beaten two lengths. Uh, she wasn't going as well then uh, as we know uh, Winks today, was she? No, she wasn't. Um, you know, she was a very good horse and... I always thought um, when when I when I won on her, I, I thought she was a Group One horse every day of the week, and I thought she'd be very hard to beat in an oak. She was very unlucky in the binary on that occasion. She was held up for most of the straight and, and flashed home late. But um, if if um, if someone told me she was going to be the the superstar she is today, I probably would have laughed at them because um, mm. you just don't see that. It doesn't happen ha- happen every year and. Um, as I said, she was a she was a Group One winner, ready to come. But um, to do what she's done is incredible. But just to be able to say that I've won on her and, and, and ridden Winks is, um, is something that I'll never forget, and my kids uh, will be able to look at and, and be very happy about it.
Tom, you mentioned your dad a short time ago, Kevin. He was an apprentice jockey. He was indentured to the late Ray Guy at Rose Hill. He rode almost 50 winners in a very short career. He got too heavy too quickly. But I can remember him winning a race or two on a handy horse called Royal Paint for the Ray Guy stable. I bet he still talks about Royal Paint. Yeah, it's about the only one he talks about because he's, he's got one photo hanging up in his in the house of him uh, riding and that's of raw paint and, um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that horse because, as I said, it's the only one he's got up there and it's the only one he really talks about. But, um, no, he had, a, he had a really short career. My dad, he, um, he was, he'd become pretty heavy and obviously the weights back when he was riding uh, were a lot lighter than they are today. So uh, he had a short career, but um, it was great. He got to experience um, what Nathan and I have. So he was a... It was great. He, he gave us a lot of great advice along the way, and, and still gives us, uh, gives me great advice now. So um, it was great that he'd sort of we'd followed the same path as he had. He continued to work in racing after hanging up his uh, boots, and he worked as stable foreman for quite some time for Warwick Farm trainer Paul Cave. Paul is an expert horseman in his own right, and he's had quite some influence in your riding education too. Yeah, he has. Paul's like a second father to me. Uh, Dad was obviously an assistant trainer to him for many, many years, and uh, we grew up in Paul's stable. And we used to, it, Paul taught us how to break in horses. Um, used to go buy him at the sales at Camden for $100 and ran him up onto a float and used to break him in at the age of 10. And um, yeah, at Warwick Farm at, at Riley's there, and uh, we. Um, we rode for Paul for many, many years and, and uh, still do now. So he's been, as I said, a great influence in my career and definitely wouldn't be where I am without without his help. Tom, I'm sure you remember that fateful day at Riley's Paddock near Warwick Farm Racecourse, which could have ended your aspirations to become a jockey. You were riding Paul Cave's stable pony, which was called Cisco. Mum and Dad were on foot close by. Cisco suddenly dropped T. Berry and politely double barreled you in the chest. Yeah, that's right. It um, it uh, gave me a, a, a massive fright. It was I don't think I rode for quite a while after that. Nathan Nathan got Cisco all to himself. But um, yeah, it's funny how little things like that can can put you off. And uh, when you're obviously very young, and um, I remember my old man that day. He he made me get back on Cisco and, and ride him. After I'd just been kicked in the stomach, I could barely stand up, and I was crying. And he said, "You're not, you're not going home until you get back on him." And um, it's probably <laughs> the best thing he ever made me do because it's. Uh, if I hadn't got on him that day, I, I probably wouldn't have got on him for a long time. So um, that's just the the way my old man was, and um, it mm. definitely helped me as, as through, through life. A very fast filly called Karuta Queen was the first horse to take you to the heady world of big time racing. You rode her in the majority of her 20 starts. She won six races on her, including the 2011 Magic Millions Classic. She was head and shoulders above those two-year-olds on the day, Tom. Yeah, she was. She was the absolute standout. And um, she taught me a lot, actually. She, um, I was riding her at a, at a young age. I was still an apprentice and... Um, uh, she sort of, she was a very short price favourite in the in the Magic Millions, so there was a lot of pressure. Well, I felt a lot of pressure on me at that stage, and um, you know she she just taught me how to deal with with the media and the hype around riding a very good horse and um, riding a short price favourite in a in a Group One, and and for her to get the job done gave me a lot of satisfaction, a lot of confidence in my ability, and 
and and helped me uh, immensely uh, as my career went on. But um, she was a great filly. I, you know, without riding crew to queen, um, I probably wouldn't have got the job at Gaze uh, mm. a bit later on. And without that, I'm not sure, sure where I would be. So mm. she was definitely the start of um, what, what made me into who I am today. The Magic Millions was one thing, but the Group 1 Golden Rose of 2012 was even better. Now, it was uh, the first Group 1 of the season, and it was the first Group 1 win for young T. Berry. Now, you got on this horse, Epaulette, when Karen McAvoy preferred the stablemate, Albrecht. Uh, now, you and Karen got way back in the field. You turned for home near the tail, but the pace had been absolutely furious in the race. Yeah, and no, it was a, it was a. I remember that day like it was yesterday. It was um, it was a. Kieran obviously, as you said, chose to ride Albert, and um, we were both at the back of the field together, and we both cornered around around the bend out wide, and, and we hit the line. And I thought Macca had won, and he thought I'd won. So it was a, it was an incredible feeling. I remember that morning I was I was at Crook. I could barely get out of bed, and um, I actually rang Dad and said I I won't be able to ride today because. Um, Mm. I can't stand up and he said you'll be riding don't worry about that so he sent my brother over to get me out of bed and made sure I got to the races so uh, if it wasn't for the if, if it wasn't for the old man I probably wouldn't have got that first group one but um it meant a lot to us uh, Peter Snowden's been a great family friend we used to obviously um he was from Warwick Farm and, and we grew up around him and uh when we were just seven eight years old riding the pony he said to me one day at the tuck shop that um he said I'll support you a lot when you're a, a jockey and um he said, "You'll ride a Group One winner for me one day," and and you know it was uh, wasn't until probably another ten years later, and I did. Yeah, Epaulette, you won a three-year-old race at Albury one day, Tom, on a horse called Fat Al for Gay Waterhouse. Little dreaming that six months later you'd be winning an Epsom on the same horse. Yeah, no, he's um, he was a good horse at that stage. He um, he was just a good, tough, honest uh, Gay Waterhouse stayer that. Um, they would never give up. He, he wasn't the most brilliant horse in the world, and he was—he's probably one that, as you said, will probably get forgotten in the in the future. But um, for me, he was just a, a tough on pace galloper, and um, yeah, that day we were just able to get a nice nice run in front in the Epsom and, and turn for home. And he just—he uh, was—he was too strong in the end. Mm. About forty-five minutes later, the very next race, in fact, you went out on an English import called Glen Caddam Gold in the Metropolitan Handicap. Going up to the barrier, do you recall, did you give yourself a real hope of a Group 1 double? Well, I did. I, I actually went into the day, the day thinking that... Um, I thought Glen Caddam goal was a certainty, to be honest. Um, I didn't mm. think there was any way he could get beat. Um, I'd, I'd been riding with Mark Munham uh, during the week, and Mark's a, he's a, he's a, he's got a great eye for a horse, and he's got a great feel for a horse as well. And and when Mark says one's going to win, and, and it was Jason Lee as well, they'd both said his horse won't be getting beat, and they're, they're great astute judges. And when they said that, mm. I was very confident. So um, you know, uh, Fat Owl was a little bit of a surprise for me, but Glen Cadden Gold definitely wasn't. Tom, you rode the same horse in the Melbourne Cup of that year. You finished sixth, only beaten about four lengths behind Green Moon. Uh, what a buzz for a young jockey, that first Melbourne yeah. Cup ride. 
No, it was a great thrill, and he led pretty much till I think the 200 metres. And you know, at Flemington, one of the first times down Flemington Strait, I, you know, you get to the 200 and you're going past the mounting yard there, and you still think you're going to win. But it's just a, it's obviously a very long straight. But for a horse, it um, he was a good stayer, but he was only limited. He's, he's not one of the best stayers that that will will be remembered for. But um, he was once again just a tough on pace stayer for Gay and. Um, like I said, we got a, a beautiful, easy run in that Melbourne Cup, and mm. was able to give a good sprint at the top of the straight. And um, you know, it's something I'll never forget. I, I remember walking back into the jockeys' room after the after the race, and Nathan Nathan come and he jumped on me and wrapped his arms around me, <laughs> and he said, "Well done, mate." And I said, "I didn't win." He said, "I know," but he said it was as good as it was as good as a win in a in a Melbourne Cup. So it was. Yeah. Uh, like I said, a moment I'll never, never forget. You were on overreach when she won the Widden Stakes by about six lengths, and you were on when she won the Mowat and Shondon Slipper Trial by about four. Now, did Gay reassure you at that time that you would be riding her in the Golden Slipper? Yeah, she did. Uh, both her and I said to Gay, "Can I, can I ride her in the Golden Slipper?" And she said, "I'm not sure. Go and ask George." So mm. I asked Mister Altamonte, and um, and he said. After after a first start, he said you'll be on, and I remember about two days later I called him again and he, I said can I ride her and he said yes I told you already you're on and mm. I called him two days later after that and asked him again just to make sure because I was I was um, obviously <laughs> that that excited about riding a, a filly of her caliber and um, yeah. after I rode her for the first time after the winning post I was pulling up and and Jim Cassidy pulled up beside me and he said make sure you never get off that filly's back because she'll she'll win you a slipper later on and mm. and she went on to do so. The track was rain affected on the day and there were doubts about the going near the fence on the turn into the straight. Do you recall that? Yeah, I do. Um, the, the fence was off for most of the day and I'd went out and walked the track uh, the race before with my brother and um, Nathan said to me, I don't think there's anything wrong with the fence around the corner. I think if you can cut the corner, then come out as you're straight and I think you'll be sweet. And Anyway, I came in and I, I spoke to Gay like you do before for Grit One. She comes into the room and she said, "What do you think?" And I said, "I want to stick to the fence." And she said, oh, "Are you sure about that?" And I said, oh, "I think it's the way to go." And she said, "Okay, if that's what you want to do, you go out and do it." And mm. we were able to do so, and it turned out to be the winning move. I think you would think it impossible to top a Golden Slipper win during the Autumn Carnival, but you did. Two weeks later, you won the Doncaster Handicap on Sacred Falls. And didn't you have a dream run in that race? <laughs> yes, I did. It was uh, it was probably one of the smoothest runs you'll get from from last in a race, especially in a Group One. I was um, I was back, I think, last, second last on the fence, and uh, I think I might have even been following my brother on a horse called Aeronautical, and mm. um, I was following following him coming into the straight, and and everything just the the, the sea started to part. And I went from running second last, and then as on straightening, I was on the back of Piero. And, he was obviously the short price favourite in the race, and he was the horse that anyone would want to be following. And Piero just took me right up to about the 300, and I peeled off his back back to the inside. And it was a heavy track on that day. And um, obviously, Sagret Falls, he turned out to be one of the best best wet trackers in Australia at that stage. And mm. he motored straight past him with a light weight of, I think, 52 on his back. Tom, you went into that Doncaster day with a pretty major distraction on your mind. The day before your mum, Julie, suffered pretty serious injuries in an accident at David Van Dyke's stables at Warwick Farm. Yeah, she did. She um, she, she cracked a sternum, sternum on that, that occasion and uh, mum has always seemed to have a little, a few niggly issues at, 
at few few different stages in my career, but she's a she's a tough one. I remember she was meant to be in, uh, in bed uh, for about a week, and she asked if she could go outside for a walk, and Dad caught her at Chippy Norton Shops, um, mm. about four kilometres from the hospital. So she's a she was an escape victim, but um, yeah, it was a it was a tough time for us. So you never never enjoy seeing your your family get hurt, especially your mum and dad, and. Um, you know, it was uh, it was great to get that win. It uh, it definitely helped her get to back on her feet a lot quicker. You've always been indebted to a group of trainers who gave you terrific support in your first few years of riding. Uh, let me just rattle a few off for you, Tom: Joe Pride, Paul Cave, Greg Hickman, Stephen Farley, Neville Late, Gary Portelli, Clary Connors, and of course your dad. And I've probably forgotten another three or four. Yeah, definitely. I've I've always ridden for a, a, a wide range of trainers, but you know a fair few of those trainers that you mentioned there, uh, Joe Prides, Clary Connors, Gary Portelli, Greg Hickman, those sort of trainers. They, they were always the backbone to, to my career, and they still are. You know, they they were our they're from our base at Warwick Farm, and they've always supported us. And um, you know, without them, as I said, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. They've they've been a, a great support group, and um, you know, I still ride from now and. And I get a lot of buzz out of riding winners for, for trainers at Warwick Farm because it is it is home to me. And um, when I when I win, even if it's at, it doesn't matter whether it's at Wying on a on a Thursday or a, a Grit One, it's it, it's just a great feeling. Your second golden slipper came in 2015, Vancouver. He only had five starts. This horse, he won four of them. Ty Anglin won the Breeders' Plate on him, and you, you took over to win the Canonbury, the Todman. And the Golden Slipper. Yeah, he was an he was just an incredible athlete. Um, you know, I obviously didn't ride him in his first start. Um, Ty rode him there. I think I was in Melbourne riding the offer, maybe in the Macavie Diva. Not sure what race it was at that stage, but um, I was lucky enough uh, with with the owner supporting Gaze to get on him after that. He was just an incredible horse. He was a ball of muscle. He was he was you're riding a two year old, but it felt like you're riding a three year old and. I think he was just a class above the rest the whole way through and it just showed in his golden slipper where he was able to sit wide with a bit of cover and um, from Barrier 16 I think it was on that day and he just blew him away and um, he's probably one of the best young horses I've ever put my leg over, that's for sure. Tom, it's not going to be easy for you. You've been away for a year. I think Sydney at the moment boasts one of the strongest groups of jockeys we've seen in many, many years. Uh, Hard work, perseverance and dedication uh, will have to be your formula yeah definitely and um you know that's sort of what i've always based my career on anyway i've always believed that if i work hard enough i'll um i'll get the results and and even when i'm working hard i'll find it i'll find a way to work hard and, um, i ride work uh, as we were saying earlier in the show you know um six days five five six days a week and mm. um I, I work hard I, I i do my best i I do my form thoroughly and, um, you know, it's not going to be easy this season. I think it's probably the strongest riding rents we've had uh, since I have since I was riding. And, um, you know, you've got Hugh Bowman, Kieran McAvoy, they're obviously the two that are up the top with James McDonald and, and um, Brent Navdala and Ty England have, have really had a great season last season. They're, they're two great riders and um, they've, uh, they're going to be hard to, to get in front of this season as well. So, you know, I'm just going to have to work as hard as I can and, and hopefully get some results on the board early and um, hopefully a few things go my way. You've come a long way from that day in Riley's paddock at Warwick Farm. 
a long time ago when Cisco, Paul Cave's pony, got rid of you and had the audacity to kick a future multiple Group 1 jockey in the chest. Yeah, no, it's, it's been an incredible ride. Um, There's a lot of ups and downs along the way, but um, racing's given me a life that um, I'm proud of. It's given me a, a wonderful life for my family. It's given me so much in my life that I can be proud of, and um, it's, an in, it's an incredible sport. Um, I feel privileged to be a part of it, and uh, hopefully I can be a part of it for a, a long time in the future to come. Tommy, it's been a delight having you on our podcast. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for that, John.